Okay, we are going to continue today in 1 Corinthians. So if you want to turn your Bibles to that, if you have one, or there's Bibles in the back if you'd like one. Um, pretty excited to be going through this with you. The Word of God is amazing. And this letter, you know, I used to think God doesn't really use, you know, sinful things to accomplish His purposes. And then I, I just had to think about that again because we're all sinners and He uses us. It's so amazing. And even this scripture that we get to read today, 1 Corinthians, you know, the whole reason why we have First and Second Corinthians is that these people were in a big argument. Not a good one. They were fighting. In fact, they started fighting with Paul and he had to send more letters. And so we get to read these amazing words that we get to read today. And we get to look into chapter 3 where we are. Particularly this entire letter really is about what's happening today in the text, which is they are divided and Paul wishes they weren't divided. So we get to talk about what does it mean and what does it look like for us to have different opinions in the church and not be divided. It's great. And we're going to do something a little bit different than normal because what I like to do is just go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and go through. But today there's another really interesting topic in the text. It's about rewards. A lot of Christians, a lot of us, really have questions about rewards and how God rewards us and what that is. And right in the middle of our passage today, he starts to talk about that, one of the places in the New Testament. So what we're going to do is we're going to do the beginning and the end of chapter 3 today. And next week, we're going to talk about rewards. So if you're a rewards person, make sure you come back next week and hear what it means, how God rewards us, because I'm not telling you today. <laughs> But no, seriously, we'll consider that text next week. But I do want you to see that we're not, we're not like putting off the most important piece. The most important piece, the main topic Paul is addressing today is what we get to hear today, which is about division. And within that, the thing that I hope you walk away with is this. You are God's. Full stop. You're owned by the king. And how we approach everything how we live our lives with people that don't agree with us, with divisions, with different things, is this backup realization always that the Lord has us. So I, I want you to see that, and I want us to walk through the text and, and, and get it. Because there are real differences, right? All of the letters of the New Testament, really, if you go through it, the Romans and, and Colossians and the Galatians, and they're all Paul's writing about people that have Differences, they're arguing over stuff, and it's not the color of the carpet. As important as that is, green is the best color you could possibly have. Don't look down. But, but they're real things. They were arguing over things about what were happening, and I mean, there were big things to get over. For example, in Genesis 17, God tells Moses, I want you to keep this covenant. This is how you keep it. You take your your male child and you get them circumcised. And if that male child, if you don't circumcise them, they have broken the covenant. They're outside and they have no place. Well, here we come in the New Testament and Paul says, circumcision doesn't matter. And so you get people who have come new to Christ and hear the message of Jesus, but they've been taught since they were little kids. They've been taught since they were, hey, their grandparents, what do they think is important? Their great-grandparents, what did they think was important? And passed down through generations, this is what you do. And then all of a sudden, some teacher gets up and says, bah, 
doesn't matter. No, 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 wait, 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 wait. These are deep held things. And then division can happen. And so really this whole letter to the Corinth is, is about division, arguments, fighting, not over little stuff, over seemingly bigger stuff, about real hurts and real teaching and real practice and real life. And so it's important for you and I to catch how to think about differences and how to take to heart our own wrong steps, what we, what we tend towards which is wrong, and what the Lord would have us do about differences in the church. So we are gods, but the first thing, I just, are we really ready to hear this? And this is where Paul goes because he's been building on this thought that they have divisions and he doesn't want them to. So he begins with 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I don't think that's the right thing. Huh. Okay. I'm not sure that our, our slide is right, is it? That look on the right slide? Look at chapter 2. So I'm going to read chapter 3 to you. Just listen to it. But I, brothers, he says, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, he says. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready. So he starts right off saying, hey, hey, I, I couldn't. When I first came to you and I told you about the stuff that you need to hear, you know, stuff like when you're just like I would tell a baby, like don't touch the hot stove, keep your fingers out of the electrical outlets, and Jesus loves you. Simple stuff. Stuff you could maybe get that you, you were, I had to not give you solid food. You weren't ready for it. And even now, he says in verse 2, you were not yet ready for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Interesting, huh? He says they're not ready for deeper things about how the gospel applies to their life because they're acting like humans. <laughs> really interesting. They're still of the flesh. So important for you and I to consider today, you can be in Christ, because that's what he's talking about, these people. You can be in Christ and yet still be in the flesh, acting of the flesh, acting in a human way. I hear that and I think, oh, well, they're being immoral or they're not keeping the right rules. If they do that, then they'll be ready. And yet Paul actually thinks something different. It's not it. It's another issue. And it's such an important issue that you could say the whole letter's about this right here this morning. You're still of the flesh because they have jealousy and strife. That's what the text says. They're still of the flesh because they're acting only in a human way. And still of the flesh because one says, I follow Paul, and the other one says, I follow Apollos. How is that a particularly human way? And you think about, why is that? Being human is to, I mean, don't you know we should follow Paul? Paul wrote all the letters of the New Testament. Apollos wrote, well, some people think he wrote Hebrews, but we're not even sure. He's nobody. Shouldn't we all just follow Paul? Come on, you guys. Paul's the one. He's the one that has the inspired writings of the New Testament. And Apollos is someone that's lost to the pages of history. If you're going to follow someone, follow Paul. 
Get that Apollos guy. What am I doing? Just what he says don't do. That's the problem, that attitude right there. Two different people stand up and teach about Jesus, and some people think this Apollos is the cat's meow, and the others think Paul. They're listening to their emphases in their hearts, and they're choosing sides. Thus, jealousy and strife, like they're not on the same team altogether. Believing in a human way is to choose sides and divide, and when you do that, you're affirming your humanness, not your Christianity. That's what Paul says. So there's these signs we're not ready to hear the deeper things of the Lord. What is it? We're splitters. We're, we're, we're dividers. We are this way, right? You see denominations everywhere. What are they dividing over? Sometimes very important things, sometimes not so important things, but there's division. When you're promoting a particular position or person that's outside this core idea of Jesus Christ and salvation, when you're about building your own kingdom, even around one person, and if you take a person's side and you make a faction promoting their views, right, then you're identifying the other people as enemies. Is it possible that Christians don't really have human enemies? Yet, yet it's so easy for us to get circled around this one particular thing that we're going to have unity, and what's our unity? We don't like them. We're really against them. And that's what Paul is going after. To be human is to be bound by time and experience grasping after. Hey, I really want to make something for me. I want to stand on something that's going to stand the test of time and legacy for me. And this is exactly what we don't, we don't get. So for us, like them, I think it means trying to accomplish things ourselves for ourselves, deciding who's the big dog, who has the best stuff, who will be big in heaven, who's the most right, who has the most kudos from God. These are the sorts of things that Paul is saying. Hey, these prevent you from being ready to hear about the depth of Christianity. He's not talking about core doctrine. Both he and Apollos taught Christ. He's not talking about that, like how you're saved or who Jesus is. He's talking about other stuff, like when are the dead raised? Should you eat food sacrificed to idols? Should you wear dresses or head coverings? Should you get who should get married and and to whom and 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 when will Jesus return? And how then shall we live? And these and these things where you take the message and you start to say, okay, let's let's flesh out these other pieces that we get to know. And and he, and he says, when we start to pick sides, we're pointing at other people and saying they're wrong. We're jealous when when people pick other leaders than our leadership whether they leave our faction, because that's undermining what? Our own sense of rightness. And for most of us, it's so important that we are right. Rightness becomes an idol for us. It's not an idol for God. He is right all the time. The problem is us. I want other people to join me in my rightness. So I'm going to make an, a little connection, a clan of people who were right and will prevent other people who aren't right from joining our little faction or clan. And this is where Paul's going. This is, this is a problem. And, and it's, and it's, it feeds us because actually it's kind of nice to have enemies because it does have this superficial unity of, wow, we're the pure ones and those guys over there are not so pure. You can band together around how bad other people are. 
And so when Paul wants to talk about the depths of the gospel, he says, you're not ready. Because you're going to use it for your own purposes, to bolster your case against other people's cases, to prove your rightness over other people's rightness, which is precisely what you don't get to do. Come on, Paul, affirm my essential truth. Affirm that I'm right and other people are wrong. And he says, no, you're, you're missing it. You're putting your identity in your rightness. And they're actually, at the end of the day, you're upside down. There's no identity there. There's no teams. There's no judging even because you're not proving yourself. That isn't what you have to do. Okay, with that sort of introduction saying they're not ready, then he, he tries to actually help them. And that's to see what work here begins to look like. Because with that, with that he goes to verse 5. What then is Apollo? What then is Paul? Servants, he says, through whom you believe as the Lord assigned to each. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. Still in trouble with the screen, but hear, hear the word of God, would you? He says, who's Paul? He's talking about himself. He says, who's Apollos? We're, we're servants that literally you could say slaves through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. So Paul says to himself, I'm nothing and, and you believed in me, not because I'm right, but because God assigned you. That's an amazing statement. You should chew on it. Because I would expect Paul to come and say, hey, you believed in me because I had the pure truth of the gospel. And that Apollos guy, he was okay. But I'll tell you what, I'm the apostle who met with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Apollos didn't do that. I'm the guy who had special knowledge from Jesus himself. What are you doing listening to somebody else? He doesn't say that, does he? I think it's a mercy of God. We don't know who Paulus was exactly because you could, then he's a nameless teacher who gets Christ and is preaching the gospel but isn't exactly like Paul. He's different enough that people are are saying, wait a minute, we got to pick sides. Paul says, I'm nothing. The only thing that matters is do people believe Jesus and the Lord assigns to different growth. The, who actually is doing that? The Lord is, he says in verse 6. They're slaves. I thought of it like, hey, okay, so you're watching a football game, it's the Seahawks and the I don't know, whatever terrible other team they're playing, like the 49ers. And you're into it, and you're watching, and it's going. And then all of a sudden, you notice the ball boys on either side, and you start arguing over what the ball boys are doing. Wait, why is he picking up too many balls? I think maybe he's taking air out of one of the balls. Deflate gate all over again. What are you doing? You're not watching the game. You're caring about stuff that isn't mattering. Because what's happening is on the field, and who's in charge of the field? That's what God's doing.
No, Paul says, look at what God does. And so he says that, you know, I planted and, and he did something. And Paulo, Apollos watered and he did something. By the way, they weren't exactly the same. They didn't do the same things. They, they did things a little differently. In fact, they, well, he's putting seeds in and this guy over here is watering. Those are different tasks, right, even? How sad if you come and say everyone should plant. How sad if you come and say everyone should be like, and you fill in the blank, and yet the important piece still remains, which is, and God gives the growth. I think really at the end of the day, you and I, we tend to have to say, I have a need to be right. I have a need to have enemies. I, I need this superficial unity against something negative. And Paul says, wait, wait, wait. You just, you just look at God who gives growth. He gives it to people you wouldn't choose. He gives it in areas you're surprised in. And that's giving of growth is an affirmation of God who works and not Paul or Apollos or you or me. There's no competition, right? That's what Paul's saying. There's no final division. There's just God who grows his church. And we're all part of this massive team, and the massive team is all together, even though we actually think very different things about even what we should do. There's this phrase in the middle of that. Neither Paul or Apollos is anything. Neither Paul or Apollos is anything. That's, that's the identity-destroying line. If you're so rapidly for a particular doctrine or a position or a person, so you start to tatter on other people, you're missing the reality that God saves. Neither you or I are anything. I love that because we forget it. I, we taught through a while ago it was Ecclesiastes. Remember Ecclesiastes? You might not. But it's all these things where the wisest man in the world went around and says, this is all the things I've done. And the main message of it at the end of the day is, I will be forgotten. I really don't matter. All the things I do, vanity, he says. All the trees I climbed, all the mountains I went through, all the experiences. In fact, in, after I'm gone, no one's even going to remember me. She want that. I hate it. I want a legacy. And, and, and in their day, legacy was even more important because your kids and your grand That legacy became you. That was so important. You fought for it. But we have the same desire. We don't tie it so often to kids. We still do. But man, I want to be remembered. And usually in America, by the thing I built, the thing I did. People say, well, I remember Abraham Lincoln. and He lived way long time ago. And I'd say, that's fantastic. Name me four people who lived in California. Or how about Washington? Name four people who lived in Bellingham when Abraham Lincoln was alive. Forget it. Just name one. Crickets. That's our town. That's the place we live. I don't remember anybody in the 1850s, in the 1700s. America was founded. I know George Washington. I know my top three like important people that I've known, but I don't really even know them. I just know about them. I don't know what they like to eat. I don't know what their heart desire were. I don't know about. I've got some information about, but I don't really know. You don't have a legacy. God provides the work. He's, he's at work. People say, well, I just want to serve the best I can. I want to do all I should. That is so admirable and good. You affirm it. Do it. But you don't point to other people's supposed failings to bolster your value. You don't have any value in that way. 
So, so let's get uncomfortable for a minute. I mean, so you get one person who was saved through the ministry of small groups in the church. They are on fire for small. You know, every single if you are a believing Christian, you should be in small groups. It is where life happens in living rooms. That's how you grow. The next person was saved and excited and so fantastic because they were saved through homeless ministries. Everybody should serve homeless ministries because that's where the Lord uses the gospel to go out. And there's one here Thursday night. You should go do it. There's a third person, and they're like, you know what? I really love getting home with my family and pouring into my kids. We hang out. We play, you know, Nintendo, and we hang out. And you know what? All three things that these people want to do happen on Thursday nights. One person says, you get into a small group. The next person says, go hang out with your kids. The third person says, get to the homeless meal. Who wins? I've got an idea. You say, creative thinker that you are. You say, I know. Why don't we have a homeless meal that the small group goes and serves on, and then we'll take the homeless meal and we'll make it at the person's house that wants to hang out with their kids. So they can all be a happy family. We have a thing. We're not divided. We're all together. No, 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 you're missing the point. The point is, we want different things to do. And then what we tend to do is not that of, oh, we're going to try and be together and be happily about the different things. It's, it's actually that, that we want to say, this one's better. In fact, I'm going to go around the church and I'm going to find people that will be in small group ministry with me because small group ministry is where it's at. I'm going to go around the church and find people who will be about homeless meal ministry on Thursday nights because that's man serving is where it's at. If you're the person that wants to be at home with their kids on Thursday night, well, too bad. You'll have a tough time finding people to do that. But you could go around and say, you know, families are important, and here we are. We're going to do it. So, so you have these things, and we, we start to divide. And that's what he's talking about. And in comes Paul and says, you guys are ridiculous. To judge whether this mission or that that way, to judge whether this moment or that, not around core doctrine about Jesus saves, but around these other things about how the church should run or about how we should do this or we should do that or we should do the other. And so Paul reorients in the way that they'll actually be able to grow. It's by thinking God grows his church. You realize that. He doesn't shut down Apollos. He doesn't shut down himself. He says, hey, you don't have to choose. So we don't go shut down the one who wants to be in a small group and don't shut down the one who thinks homeless ministry is super important or don't shut down the person who says, man, my kids, I need to spend time with them. You don't shut down any of that, right? You don't pull and say, you know what, okay, that's fine. You can do that for a while. But I'll tell you, my thing that you should be doing over here is more spiritual and better. Because the whole ground that's being laid by Paul is that that God gives growth. Then all the things we do, the one who plants or the one who waters, they are one. In the incredible statement of the gospel, we are one. Not we might be one if we get to a certain place of spirituality and holy living. We are one. Why? By the finished work of Christ. This is why we talk about being free. This is why the, the, the image we chose was sheep, because we're sheep with the shepherd, you see. We're all sheep under the shepherd. We're all God's work. God takes care of each one. Yeah. 
If you think about it, would you think about it with a minute with me? Isn't it interesting? You know, when Jesus came to earth, when God was man, he was really cagey. I, I, I don't mean to use that word a negative at all as a positive. He was very difficult to pin down about a lot of issues. People came to him, right? The political issue of saying, oh man, should we pay taxes to Caesar? That's like giving money to a God, pledging allegiance to the Romans. Should we, should we pay taxes? Remember the, the item, the coin? Jesus says, whose image is on it? Given to Caesar what Caesar's. That's a very interesting way to answer. That's not really a yes or a no. Jesus, come on. Take a stand. You know how Jesus said, you know, the poor you're going to have with you always? Jesus didn't heal everybody. You know, over, one person looked and said there's ten times in the Gospels, ten times that the, the disciples in one form or other came to Jesus and says, hey, tell us who's the greatest or who will be the greatest in heaven. We want to know who's the greatest. Will you choose? Jesus never chose. I mean, one time he says, hey, you got to be like this little child over here. Just like a little kid. Not worrying about it, you get it. Just trust me. Remember when the, the, the factions, John came running up to Jesus, he's all a flutter, he said, hey, hey, there's somebody over there who's casting out demons in your name, Jesus. The full-on thought that John has with Jesus would go, stop him. Jesus says, hey, whoever's not against us is for us. Big whoop, he said, right? Kind of. Or, I, I like this one, it's the, the wrong teaching. Remember remember the parable, the wheat and the tares? When, when the, 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 the wonderful seed is planted, and, and, and then at night the enemy comes in and grows up, and there's weeds among us, good wheat. And you think, okay, Jesus, we're going to go in there, and we're going to pull out the bad stuff. And he says, the whole parable is, don't go cut the weeds down. Let everything grow. Because... You're going to pull out and hurt the wheat if you go in there trying to pull everything out. Let it be. And the angels will determine at the right time. You see where that puts us? That puts us directly as the wheat and not as the puller. There's a sea change in how we begin to think, you and I. We start to see that we're not, we, we want to be the deciders and the judgers and the dividers because we're, because honestly, I think it goes back to the garden, doesn't it? What, what we wanted to eat was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil because we want to be like God. We want to make those decisions. We want to be the people who say, okay, I'm the one with God at my side making these decisions about who's right and who's wrong. The best ways. And I will build my kingdom and God will help me. Oh, and that's, that's the humanists we're talking about. Instead, Jesus says, trust me. Jesus says, there's more going on than you know. Jesus says, don't worry so much about other people that are emphasizing the things you think people should do that are more than just trusting Jesus. Be gentle. Have opinions, of course, but wait on me. And, and, and that's what Christ says, I, I believe. That's what Paul is headed for, because we're to think of ourselves in a certain way. And, and that's what this last piece is, is what's our identity? What's our identity? Because he ends this little paragraph with verse 9, and there it is. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's 
building. See what he does? Paul says, hey, I'm just a fellow worker with other workers, so it's not about me. Don't make it about me. But think about yourself for a minute. If you are a worker, you are in ministry, you're not in competition. We are not in competition with other churches. We are not in competition with other believers to see who gets more stuff or more blessings from God or more growth. That's what Paul says about these leaders of the faith. We're one. We're, it's all about the God giving the growth. And then he turns to the church. And he turns really to you and me, to this church at Corinth where we can locate ourselves in. And he can say, you are God's field and you are God's building. This is your identity. This is how you should think of yourself. How, how, should, how should I think of myself? God has me. This is your identity. This is it. God has you and he's at work. The supernatural ruler of the universe says, you are his you are his, by the way, piece of ground. Lots of uh, responsibility for a piece of ground. You are his masterpiece. You're, you're the stone wall. And he's building. <laughs> oh, Paul's not making a masterpiece. God is. Apollos isn't making sure the right thing is done. God is. And the king of the universe has you and me. We're his. That's what he's saying. I mean, he's going to go on and talk now about some rewards for the workers, and we'll pick that up next week. But but this is heavy. We're going to skip that paragraph. Go to the end of the chapter with me. You're God's field. You're God's building. And then this in verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. I have this. You have this. If you have Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, you are God's temple, you are precious, you are holy, not because you're doing something for God, but because God has you. Very important. And, and helps us because then I'm not thinking about tearing down other people but about non-critical things because I'm tearing down God's work and it won't go well for you. God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Right now, by trusting in Jesus, by staying loyal to him, God is at work and we want to puff up with all other sorts of issues and at the end it won't matter. All that matters is whether God has you or not and our faith is exactly that in Christ. God has us. He goes on. I'll just read it quickly and we'll be done. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. We've talked about that in weeks past. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So then, let no one boast in men. You can go through history, right? You can take present people. In my universe, it was John MacArthur or John Piper or Matt Chandler. In ages past, it's Martin Luther or John Calvin or important thinkers like Blaise Pascal or Isaac Newton, people of the revival, George Whitfield or Jonathan Edwards. Fools, all, only wise in Christ. 
one thing if they grasp it right there, essential humility. This is where he's going. He's going at this place where you and I, we have this essential humility. And it's how we came to Christ is that we dropped that we ourselves were anything. And we turned to Jesus and says, you're my everything. And he says, you're right. I am. This is the step towards maturity that I think he's after for them that I hope you hear this morning. That you are God's is a statement of your essential humility. And then he says even, to end the chapter, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Oh, that's amazing. See, you have value. It's, it's your sense of humility, but you have this value because everything's yours. Why? Because the God of the universe has put his favor upon you. You can stand. This is why we have the ability to not divide. That you and I know that we are taken care of. You do not have to fight over your position. You can point to the Lord. Do it. This matters, you know, and we'll end with this. Just some, a couple thoughts that it's okay then, we know, to have strong opinions, but to be in the same body. It's the most beautiful thing, and one of the most beautiful things about our church is that we have a core, where it's, which is a high view of scriptures and Jesus and who he is and how you're saved, and that's our core. And, the, and then there, what we think of many more things than that all the time. I've got strong opinions about things. It doesn't divide us. Why? Because I see the Lord at work. I'm not the one who pushes. The Lord's the one who grows. Don't you dare make me the idol. The direction is always towards trust in God. God is at work. Not towards grabbing onto someone's program. The gospel is connection and not some partial mission, right? Don't settle for a subset of the gospel. Be excited about what the Lord has put on your heart to do and do it. We need to value others' people and their thoughts that are different than you and I and, and, and be, do that because I see I'm God's and that's so amazing. Wow. You are too. We have something so precious. It's the most precious thing you can ever think. And, and that leads me to be gentle. Humility defines us. And we come back when it doesn't, and, and often it doesn't, because I slip back into wanting to be the debater, wanting to be the one who's building up, wanting to be seen as the one who's strong. And so I come back and realize my humility. I come again to the cross. I call you to that. If what you've heard today is, wow, I, I'm too strong. I fight too hard. Then hear humility. Come back to the cross. See Jesus again. He's worthy of every thought you could think. He's worthy of you trusting in him and what he will do instead of yourself and what you might do. Let's stay there.